0: We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, what's up everybody? How are you doing, Crossroads? My name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads and so glad to have you with us today. We're changing things up a little bit. Normally, you'd have some worship right now, but we're going to start with the message. And I just want to welcome you wherever you might be joining us from, from your living room, from your car, from work, wherever it might be. You just need to know that our mission here is to lead people to discover Jesus. And follow him fully. So we are here to help you take your next step any way that we possibly can. So thank you for being with us here today. Now the past few weeks have been very interesting, to say the least. Uh, lots of moving pieces in our world. People not sure of what they can do and what they can't do. Things changing all the time. Lots of confusion. But what I've actually loved to see, though, is is Christians acting like followers of Jesus more than they ever have before. And I just love that. Uh, guys, just if you think about it, we, we, are, we are stepping up to feed people in record ways. We are being generous even when it's difficult to do so. We're finding creative ways to love and to serve each other. We're, we're treating each other with, with, dare I say, respect and kindness to help us through this really strange time. So, so this is what I believe the world needs to see more of and and frankly, I don't know if they see that all the time from us as Christians, which is the very reason that we are ending our series called Asking for a Friend with this question. And it is, why are Christians so judgy and hypocritical? Now, of course, this Asking for a Friend series is about asking for a friend, not for you, and that's fine. But, but have you ever heard that question before? Maybe you've even asked that question. It's really a question about the perception of those that say they believe in Jesus and then their actions and them not matching up. And, and so far in the series, we've tackled some pretty heavy theological and reasoning heavy questions. Uh, in the last two weeks, we've really kind of used our heads a lot and we've had to unpack questions that people are, are asking that are far from God or might not even believe in God at all. Like, like week one, for instance, we asked the question, how can you believe in something you can't see? It's a question about the existence of God. And then in week 2 we answer we ask the question, well, okay, why does a good God let terrible things happen? See people want to know why God would allow pain and suffering and evil in the world if in fact he was good. Now don't worry I'm not going to preach three sermons today and catch everybody up to speed. Don't worry. But I will ask you to do this. I want you to either go back to the, our website, CrossroadsGrace.org, or download our free app, the Crossroads Grace app, and you can go back and listen to those. And when you do that, I hope that you're going to find that we have, we've looked through reason and science and logic to be able to, to make sense of whether or not God exists. And what we found is that it makes more sense that God exists than doesn't make sense. And that although God is not the source of our pain and suffering and evil, he still shows himself as real and present in our lives, even in the middle of it. That his love and existence are on display in so many ways that it becomes very difficult to not believe that he is, in fact, real. But what I've asked you to do during this entire series is I want you to come ready to dig in and not to tap out when things get hard. After all, you can't expect hard questions to have soft answers. It just doesn't work that way. Which is why I've said that you need to come every week with your mind, your heart, and your soul. And guess what? Today, it's no different. Because the, the question that we're going to ask today is going to require our minds, to be sure. But it will actually ask, have us move beyond just facts and figures. And move into our attitudes, our dispositions, and our actions as followers of Jesus. So if if we think about this question, again, why are Christians so judgy and hypocritical? It's an interesting question because it actually moves the spotlight away from God. He's no longer under those heat lamps and it places us as Christians in the chair for questioning. And the reason this happens is because of what the world expects out of us as Christians. See, See, the public perception of Christians is that we should be loving and kind and caring and accepting and forgiving and, and use words like, like fiddly doodads instead of swear words. Like that's what they expect. But, but the actual public perception is, is really a lot of the, of the opposite. But, but where does this cultural disconnect happen? Like, like where does it happen between what, what people think Christians should be like and then what they actually see from us? After all, we'll start to say that, well, didn't Jesus himself tell us what he wanted the world to know us to be known as? I mean, John 13, 35, it seems really clear clear when Jesus says, uh, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? So so, so maybe if you follow the 1969 Woodstock model of loving Jesus and maybe adopt the Beatles theology of all we need is love, then then maybe we'll just be okay. But with this type of approach, what you need to know is that we're cherry picking verses out of the Bible without taking a look at the tree that it came from. So, So check out how the context of this verse that we just read changes with the verse added right in front of it. So John chapter 13, let's read verses 34 and 35. It says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, time out. That that changes some stuff, doesn't it? Because what Jesus just did was he gave us some parameters for love. Dare I say some love handles. He gave some direction to this whole conversation. So let me explain it this way. I've got a visual aid here for you. Let me just kind of explain it this way. Um, So so this is is a hundred pound sandbag. Sandbag. 100 pound sandbag. And and if you are to interact with this thing is awkward and and weird. And if you want to see some funny things on YouTube, watch people try to lift this thing without knowing how to really do it. Like it's super, super awkward. So it's a 100 pound sandbag. It's super funky and it kind of does as a mind of its own. Um, And so it's really weird to try to pick that up. 100 pounds. But now let's compare this with, say, this. This is a 100 pound dumbbell. And so whereas you look at the sandbag and you say... Gosh, okay, okay, how do I, where do I, what do I do with this? How do I start? When you look at a dumbbell, it's very, very clear. There is a handle there and it says, grab the dumbbell here. So where this is super awkward, I can simply come by this, pick it up, and it's no problem because I know exactly where the handle should be. I've got a handle to pick up what it is all about. So let's think about this now from the perception and the thought of love. See, a lot of us look at love and we say, oh, there's love. And it looks just so appealing and so obvious. And you say, well, okay, I just got to, I got to love people. So I'm going to look and you're like, whoa, okay, time out. Um, love is a, is a little bit harder than I thought, but yet I'm supposed to love. So how do I do it? And so here's what we'll do. We'll try to think of any possible way that we can love. We'll try to pick it up this way. We might even like, like drag love a little bit. And, and what this looks like is, okay, well, well, maybe I just need to love. Everybody, like, like love, is, love is just all right, or maybe I'll just accept certain kinds of love because that's easier for me to move, or, or maybe I love like, people I like, but I don't love my enemies. And so it's just this weird, awkward thing if your job is to figure out what love is. But the beautiful part about what we just, what we just read is that Jesus just gave us love handles, he says, listen, if you want to love, if, if, you're, if everyone's supposed to know you by your love, guess what? You need to be known by my love. And so Jesus says, this is how you do it. I'm going to show you how to love. And what's awesome about this is that once you figure that out, isn't it great to know that I have another free hand, which means that if I could comprehend how to love, I might be able to even love even more than I thought because I've got more opportunities to love. So I could pick up 200 pounds and not just 100 pounds because I have handles. So here's the thing. This is so important for us to grasp today so important for us to understand today. What Jesus just said here is that I want people to know you by your love, but I want to make sure that they know the name brand that you love them by. And guess what? The name brand is me. It's the love of Jesus. This is what I want them to know by. Those are the handles, if you will, that I want you to show people that you love them. Now, the disciple John he wrote a, a bunch of books, or a bunch, a bunch about this. and in fact, at first John, he wrote a, a fantastic way, a fantastic description of this. In First John chapter two, he says, "But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them." He says this: "This is how we know we are in Him." Here's the handles, OK? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did." So that's crazy, right? Isn't that amazing? So, so again, it's putting, handles, it's putting handles on this love that, that, we can, that we can see that loving like Jesus requires that we live like Jesus. It requires that we know who Jesus is. And that is something that I hope that Christians and non-Christians alike could grab onto. And my hope is that we could grab onto the real Jesus And not the unfortunate mistakes of other Christians' version of Jesus. But I still believe God's plan is somewhat comical. If if you really kind of take this whole thing in. Just just think about this for a a minute. See, if we sit back and think about how that God entrusted the most important task on the planet to messed up people like you and like me, that's pretty crazy. I mean, think about this. So if, if you're if you aren't a Christian with us here today, I'm so glad that you're with us today because I and I'm grateful that you joined us. You are always welcome here. So I just want to fill everybody in, in here about what I'm talking about. OK, so as Christians, we believe that Jesus came on the most important mission of all time. And that was to save all of mankind from their sin. Those are the things that we do against God that, that causes separation from us. So he came to save us from all of our sin. And so he lived a perfect life. Uh, he, he's, he, he told the entire world about love and forgiveness and mercy and hope that was found in him. He died on a cross. He defeated death three days later. He ascended back into heaven to prepare a place for us for all eternity. But before he leaves, he hands the keys of the car to a bunch of misfits like us that had no business even having a learner's permit. And as he says, as believers in Jesus, it's our job to to, to tell the entire world about him. Oh, and by the way, he's not going to come back until we do that. That's nuts. That's crazy. Who would do that? But that's the plan. But but here's the thing I need us to remember. And, and this might be really helpful for all of us to know right in this moment, Christian or non-Christian, I want you to remember this today. Just because we know Jesus doesn't mean we are Jesus. Right? Can, in fact, can we just say that out loud here today? So, so in your living room or your kitchen or your car right now, I want you to actually say something out loud. I want you to say out loud, I'm not Jesus. All right. I'm serious. I want to hear it out loud from all over the country, all over the world. I want you to hear it. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. I'm not Jesus. That feels good, doesn't it? That just feels good. And and here's why that's so important. We might know Jesus, but we are still messed up and we are going to mess up. So, so when people far from God or they don't believe in God and they, and they think that Christians are, that they, and they look at Christians and they mess up and they get all upset, I was going to say, well, well, duh, of course we're going to mess up. You know, salvation doesn't mean perfection. But, but here's the deal. Just because that's true, listen very carefully, okay? Listen carefully. Before Christians get all comfy, listen carefully. Just because that's true doesn't give us a hall pass to be a jerk, Right. Just because your sin is saved by grace doesn't mean you can keep on doing sinful stuff. It's not how it works. Paul actually speaks right to the heart of this in in Romans chapter 6. I I love the message translation of it. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 2. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? I love that verse. So so listen, we have to realize that when Jesus gave us love handles for our life and offered us grace for our sins, it wasn't so that we could have a handy dandy get out of hell free card or use it as sledgehammers to beat somebody over the head with it. No, no, no. It was so that we could do what 1 John 2, 6 just said, so that we could live as Jesus did. So so I think there are really two things that we have to consider about Jesus before we go on. We need to know how he lived and how he loved. Because to live like Jesus, we need to know how these whole things work. So, So Jesus lived in the perfect balance of both grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, and when you hear the word word, insert Jesus here, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So here's what I want to do. Let's make sure we have clarification of terms here today. Um, The first is, is that truth? What is truth? Truth is, is that which is right according to God's standards. That's what truth is. And I know some people are going to bristle at that because you don't like people telling you what to do or what you can't do. But over the past two weeks, we've, we've laid a foundation for this already. We've said that you can't live by relative truth. Because relative truth is subjective to our feelings, our emotions, and the situation that we're in. But if we want full truth, we need something that is, sub- is, is not subjective to those influencers. And so over the past two weeks, we've concluded that God could provide what's called objective truth. And that Jesus would actually say this about truth as it relates to himself, about being the objective truth. In John chapter 18, starting verse 37, he says that in fact, the reason I was born, I came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, Jesus says. So Jesus is the source of truth and therefore will always live by the absolute truth in his life. So this means that when Jesus speaks about how we should spend our money, treat our neighbor or our enemy, look at marriage or divorce, approach our our sex life and every other truth in this world, that Jesus holds the final say as to what is right and what is wrong. Because he is the truth. So that's the first term. The second term we have to make sure we clarify is grace. Grace. We said Jesus is both grace and truth. So what is grace? Grace basically means getting something you don't deserve. Grace is what Jesus offers us in place of our sin, all the stuff that we mess up. See, grace affords us forgiveness of our sins, mercy in our life, a renewed connection with God, and an access to eternity with God forever. Grace is a beautiful combination of forgiveness and mercy and love But only Jesus can give us grace for our sins because of what he did on the cross. And we can only receive grace when we have Jesus as our Savior. There is no true grace without Jesus. See, see, Jesus lived in the, the tension of grace and truth, as my friend Caleb Kaltenbach would say, which means that Jesus' life was able to call people out on, out, of, out on truth when they weren't doing the right things, while then at the very same time offering them grace. And, and grace doesn't excuse the wrong things that we do. It doesn't at all. But what it does is it gives us hope that those wrong things aren't the end of us. But the second aspect of Jesus that we need to look at as we approach this is his love. We looked at his life, how he lives, but also his love. Jesus demonstrated the fullness of love. and We read this in, in 1 John three sixteen. again. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. In, 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 and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's, that's how we know, it says. See, we live in a world of counterfeit and compromised love. And because of that, it is hard to know what's real and what's a cubic zirconian love from Walmart. Because, guys, think about it. We love our job. We love our cat. No idea why. Uh, we love our cars. We love kids. And we love our spouses. We love hobbies. We love Chick-fil-A. Now, I get that. And, and we love all kinds of other things. But how could all that love be the same? How can we say we truly love our chicken sandwich and also love our spouse? So, so see, my fear is that we have compromised the true meaning of love into what we want it to be. We've ignored the handles God has given us to hold on to. And we don't know what true love is anymore. In, in, in one of the most descriptive analyses of love, the Apostle Paul says something really profound. He says this at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says... He says, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And listen, you don't have to believe in God to be able to agree with that definition. We all want what Paul just said here. And this is why Jesus is so amazing and is so important. Jesus is the only one that has ever embodied all of these at the very same time. Only Jesus. But notice what he also said. Again, in 1 Corinthians thirteen eight. he says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the, the truth. There it is again. True love seeks the truth. But, but even greater than all these things is that the fact that Jesus laid down his life for us. Because true and full love is sacrificial. Jesus shows us the fullness, the absolute fullness of love by sacrificing his life for others. And, and we read this in John 15, 30, 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's Friends, Jesus gave up his life for people. Check this out. He gave up his life for people that killed him. Literally. Our sin, your sin, all of our sin killed Jesus. And he knew that we would do it, but yet he still did it. Now, now some of us might say that I'd lay my life down for my kids and my wife or my loved ones. And that may be true. But but to lay your life down for your mortal enemy, that ain't happening. That ain't going to happen. But Jesus did. So, so, so all of this is the foundation for us to understand the true Jesus. To understand how he lived and how he loved. To understand how, that, how we as Christians, based on what we just said, is that is how Christians are supposed to live. This is what a life following Jesus is supposed to look like. But how then do we reconcile the, the, the other expectations? The, the, the two greatest critiques of Christians. How do we handle, knowing all that, how do we handle hypocrites and judgmental people? How do we do that? As the famous author Mark Twain once said, he says, He says, if Christ were here, there is one thing he would not be. A Christian. So clearly not the most ringing endorsement to being A Christian. But I'm sure that Mr. Twain and many others, maybe like yourself, that have a clouded view of Christianity, isn't clouded because of Jesus. It's clouded because of his followers. And, and frankly, Christians trying to wriggle off that hook unscathed, it only drives the hook deeper because we're guilty. See, here is what the researchers have shown about non Christians' view of, of Christians. In, in the book um, called Unchristian, written by Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinneman, they say these words. Now, listen carefully. He says, In virtually every study we conduct, representing thousands of interviews every year, born-again Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. So what this says is from the outside looking in, people are saying, I don't see it. That There is no difference at all. And so based on that, I just want to say this from the bottom of my heart. If you are watching us and have been hurt by Christians. If you, if you are here and you don't believe in God. And maybe it's because of Christians. I just want to say this. I'm sorry. I am sorry that you have been treated in ways that are not like Jesus. I, I, I'm sorry that you can't see more of a change in our life because of Jesus. That's wrong. But we need to do better. But. But if you will, let me at least take a stab at letting you know what Jesus says about both of these subjects, if you will. And and let's start out with with hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is when we claim to have a moral standard or belief, but our behavior doesn't match with that moral claim. And and interestingly enough, the word hypocrisy comes from the ancient Greek word hypokrites. And that is a, a technical term for a stage actor. So so you could say that a hypocrite is someone that wears a mask or is an actor and says one thing, but when in reality underneath that mask or behind that part is something completely different. And Jesus would have very stern words for hypocrites. And check this out, especially for religious hypocrites. Listen to his words in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, he says, Blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I love Jesus because he doesn't play with this stuff. He's saying, saying, seriously, Pharisees, just just take off the mask. Like, you religious people, knock it off. No one is buying it. Everyone can see that you are fake and that your lives are filled with dead bones with no life at all. (laughs) Ladies, let me maybe give you an example. It's, It's like trying to convince someone that you're blonde. But since this whole COVID thing has been happening, you haven't seen a hair salon for a while and you're starting to show that you're a brunette a little bit more, you know what I'm saying? Or or, or men, it's trying to convince someone that your toupee is the real deal. All right, well, let, let me dovetail this analogy with the spiritual for a second. My friends, God is trying to tell you as a hypocrite, your roots are showing. He's saying that everybody knows that your life is fake. Your hair is fake. Everything is fake. Fake. Your your life is not what you you think people are seeing. But, But I actually think that there are two types of hypocrisies that we should think about. The two types are repentant and indignant hypocrisy. So let's talk about the first one. Repentant hypocrisy. What is that? Repentant hypocrisy is when you screw up and you own it. We say, yep. This is not what I believe. That's not what I know Jesus wants me to do. And I screwed up. Please forgive me. Because remember, we aren't Jesus and stuff's gonna happen. We don't wanna be hypocritical, but there are times when we stumble and we screw up. Gang, this is me, right? This is me. I get too intense when I coach my kids. Hand in the air, okay? I say some dumb stuff to my wife, Cherie, that I should not say. I get frustrated with my kids for absolutely no reason, right? So my desire to follow Jesus doesn't match up with my outside screw-ups. But here's the deal. What I found in my life is if you own your hypocrisy, a person that doesn't know God will at the very least respect you. And it may not have them run back to Jesus faster, but it will at least let them know that you're human And you're not trying to pretend everything's fine. You repent. You ask for forgiveness. You acknowledge that your life is not matching up. You own it. That's number one. But the the second hypocrisy is this. I'll call it indignant hypocrisy. Indignant hypocrisy is when you pretend like everything is okay. Like there's nothing wrong at all. Like let's just be real. This is when you obviously cheat on your spouse, but then you go to a marriage retreat the next weekend and pretend like God is cool with it. Right? It, it's when you skim a few extra bucks off your expense account at work and play it off as no big deal as you invite your coworker to, to church. Who knows what you did? It's when you play off your mistakes as if there is nothing to see here, nothing wrong. You are indignant in your hypocrisy. So let me step out of the way and I'll let author Mark Middleberg hit it off the tee here and he says this, the problem is not so much that they sin or fail, it's that they pretend they don't. They're inauthentic, unwilling to admit they're not really who they say they are. Hypocrites are frauds and imposters, people living a lie. Gang, people want to see authenticity in your life, even if that means you screw up. So my fellow Christians out there, don't pretend like all is okay when you screw up. Own up to it and realize Jesus' grace is there for you too. I've just found that this is a greater testimony to God's work in your life to other people than any really pretty Instagram picture version of yourself you post up all the time. But, but what about another one, those, the other area that people get hurt in? What does God say about judgment? D- does God say we shouldn't judge? Well, the answer is yes and no. And and let me explain. The word judge has two definitions. It means to exercise discernment or to condemn. And and when it comes to the conversation we're having today, most immediately we think of the second definition. It's when someone judges us and in a condemning way. And and we'll point to Jesus on this. We'll point right back to Jesus's words where he says in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you too shall be judged. That's what we hear all the time. And, and we, we like this verse. Even if you don't know who God is, you like this verse because we don't want to be condemned for the things that we're doing. And guess what? You are 100% right to say that. Because as Christians, our job is not to condemn. We don't have the spiritual credibility to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner on someone else's life choice, which is why the rest of this verse is so important for us to remember. He says in verses 1 through 2, he says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is a unique judicial twist on the golden rule. The golden rule says, treat others the way that you want to be treated. But Jesus just adapted this to judgment by saying, judge others the way that you want to be judged. And we all know That when the judge comes, we want to be judged lightly, not heavily. No one goes into traffic court and says, you know what? Take my license away. Please impound my car and give me the biggest fine possible. Give it to me. I've never heard someone that's in the rears on child support ask the judge, hey, throw me in jail. Uh, I need to get my life and back together. And I want you to make me pay back 10 times the amount I owe. Now, I think that might be deserved for some people that are in the rears right now, but that's not how it is. No, we all want leniency when it comes to our condemnation, especially when we know that we're guilty. So Jesus is saying, hey, whoa, whoa, leave the judgment and the condemnation to me. That's my role. It's not your role. Because if you didn't know, your side of the street isn't that clean either. And this is where hypocrisy crosses over the center line right into judgment's lane. It's when people start saying, time out. Let me get this straight. You're telling me not to do this, but you're doing that? It's a disconnect for people. And frankly, it turns them off to you and to Jesus when you do that. And that is especially true for Christians that think that they have the right to judge people who, are, who aren't Christians with the standards of Jesus, Guys, let me read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says, it says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those from the outside. So I will say this until I have breath in my lungs, as long as I can breathe. You cannot expect a person to live like Jesus until they know Jesus. You can't. So stop asking Stop judging, stop expecting them to live like a Christian when they don't even know why that should matter to them. Show them Jesus first. Not so that you can judge them later, but so that you can show them God's love and the better life that he offers them. But that does leave us with the second part of the definition. And and what about judgment of discernment? How, How does that work? And is Jesus okay with that too? So I appreciate Erwin Lutzer's, author Erwin Lutzer's take on this. He says, Clearly Jesus is not teaching us that judging is wrong. Judging or discernment lies at the heart of Christian living. As believers in Jesus, we are called to judge or to use discernment when we see someone that believes in Jesus and has gone off track. And it's not a mean thing, but it's actually the most loving thing you can do for them. And as a leader in this church, this could be really hard Especially when it is great people that you know truly want to love Jesus and they just get off track. It's painful. It's, it's hard. But we're called to use the judgment of discernment. And let me tell you, no one likes this. And no one likes it when it's done on them. And, and here's what I've seen. When you have a talk with somebody that's off track from Jesus, this is usually what I'll see. That sin has blinded their eyes to what the truth is. And they want to keep doing what they're doing so badly that they will actually twist what God says. They want to believe that God's will for their life is whatever they want their will in their life to be. And you might ask, rightfully so, how does that happen? I mean, you said that you know Jesus. But remember, just because you know Jesus doesn't mean that you are Jesus. Jesus. And so here's how this whole thing happens uh, from all of us from time to time. Paul says this in Romans 1, starting in verse 25. Listen carefully. It says they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator. So when we take our eyes off Jesus and put them on our relationships or happiness or success or stuff or ourselves, we are exchanging God's truth. We're exchanging Jesus with a lie. Guys, even great people in the Bible, like Peter, who is one of the founding disciples of the New Testament church, he screwed up and he was judged by discernment by the Apostle Paul to get him back on track. And that's where fellow Christians have to be willing to use discernment. We must be brave enough to have those conversations so that we can keep each other on track. Let me just give a few guidelines, give you some handles on how to do this. And I'll do it very quickly. Number one, don't confront someone on something that's a struggle for you. Again, this is where hypocrisy is at its highest. For example, you can't call someone out for a pornography addiction if you have one yourself. Jesus would say, make sure you get the plank out of your eye before you adjust the speck in your neighbor's eye. Now, that's number one. Number two, though, discern when to bring up concern. Discern when to bring up concern. Pray that God gives you the right time and the right way to bring this up. Do it face to face. Do it in person. Make sure that they can hear your voice. See your face. Understand your inflection. Make sure that they know that you love them. So have discernment when when you have concern. Number three, have the right motivations. Have the right motivations. Listen, your motivation is not retaliation. Your motivation is not retaliation. This is not the right heart. It will only make things worse. Go to them privately before you bring others into the conversation. Respect them as a person. Live like Jesus in both truth and grace. Because if we don't do this, we're gonna play into the stereotype that Christians are hypocritical and that we're judgmental. And our motivation should not be retaliation. It should be restoration. Restoration, our end goal is always to see them restored to the truth of Jesus. To be restored to him and the life that he wants them to lead. Because here's the deal. If we restore them to anything but Jesus first, we're simply trying to restore them morally and not spiritually. And more, a morally good person that isn't rooted in Jesus is like putting a band-aid on an open-heart patient. It might make you feel good that at least you did something, but it doesn't help res- do the restoration that really needs. It doesn't help fix what really needs fixing. And then finally, number four, pray before you say. Pray before you say. Seek God first before you approach someone, right? Before you think you need to talk to them, seek God first. Don't go into anything without God's blessing and his guidance. So, so here, here's what I'd like to say. As we kind of wrap up this time, here's what I'd like to say to those that have been hurt by Christians because of hypocrisy and judgment. Again, I am sorry. And and honestly, if you don't see change in someone's life that says that they are a Christian, there's a really good chance they're not following Jesus, just straight up. But here's what I would also say. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. Give up on me or whoever else, but don't give up on Jesus. Because giving up on Jesus because of his followers is like giving up on a doctor because of the people in the waiting room. It's not the doctor's fault. So if you could see the proof that God exists... If you could see that God isn't the cause of pain, but that he's actually the source of all that's good. If you could see that his son wasn't immune to pain, but he took on pain for all of us. If you could see that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. that I don't care what some knucklehead so-called Christian does. Run to Jesus. Run to the Savior. But to those of us that are Christians... What people need to know more than anything else is not how much you know or how right you are, but how much you care. How much we care about them as people and that we love them. And frankly, what they, what, what, what they need to know more than anything is that we're there for them, that we got them. Guys, I saw this video the other day on SportsCenter on their Instagram feed, and I thought it was such a great example of what we as Christians need to be for each other. I want you to look at these two little boys and listen to what happens here as they're on the lake. Take a look. See, what people want to know more than anything is that you've got them, right? That, that, that you love them. That they want to know. And that's how you put handles on how to know Jesus to them. You show that I got you. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to be a perfect balance as best as I possibly can between grace and truth. And am I going to screw up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, I'm going to screw up, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to lean you back to Jesus every time. That is the whole point of what God wants us to do. He wants everyone to know how to grab onto Jesus, what the love handles look like for Jesus. And at communion, we get a beautiful chance to do that. We get to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, that because of what he did on the cross, because his arms were spread wide and his, and his blood was spilled for you and I, that we can be free And that's what people need to hear. You don't need to be right all the time. You need to be loving all the time. You need to be there for them in the perfect balance of grace and truth. Because Jesus did that for you. He did that for me on the cross. And my friends, you might be able to pick up love, but it gets heavy after a while. And you need to know that there's somebody there that can hold it for you. And that's why we hold on to these and we hold on to Jesus because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He is love and through him we can be free. My friends, I know that this can hit people in different ways but what I pray more than anything else is today you can know how you can grab on to Jesus and you can know him as your savior. That's what he wants you to know more than anything else. He loves you. See my friends, when we are able to grab Jesus and hang on tight we can hold on with everything we got because we know that he's there for us. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.